today's skeptics and today's atheists may be tomorrow's Billy Graham. How is this possible? We see God can transform the most powerful of skeptics into the greatest of believing evangelists. Such is true for the Apostle Paul. There was a movie once called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which starred Ben Stiller, speaking of a man's life who wanted to be something great, who wanted to do something great to impress a girl he thought himself unworthy to date. Eventually, the main thesis of the movie was shown to be stop dreaming and start living. In the life of the Apostle Paul, we see a not-so-secret life as he comes to receive Christ, despite having a not-so-secret persecuting vendetta, a not-so-secret personal vision, a not-so-secret providential visitation, and a not-so-secret powerful vocation. Find out more on today's episode of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Grab your copy of the Word of God. Turn with us to Acts chapter 9, verses 1-25, through 25, as we discuss the not-so-secret life of the Apostle Paul. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. I love, I love these crossword puzzles, but I've been told I'm going to have to watch Janet because there's, there's a secret message apparently in this, in this week's crossword puzzle. I think it's, it's this week's, it's last week's, last week's, because if you look on there, the third row down, if you look across, it says, uh, and then it goes to the side and then it goes down, it says choke Brian. So I'm going to have to watch Janet <laughs> talking about security. I won't have to keep my eyes on her. <laughs> I have it right here in case you want to see it. I have evidence here, so <laughs> I got to keep my eyes on her, I see. <laughs> We're going to ask, if you will, turn your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 9. We have a lengthy passage of Scripture today, but I think it's absolutely worth uh, every moment we spend 
uh, because quite honestly, I, I would rather uh, spend more time in the Word, letting you hear what the Word of God says, than, than any opinion I have about the Word of God, because it is, uh, it is the revelation of God given to us. But Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25 is where we're going to be at. In many ways, up until this point, this is almost like a climax that we've seen in the story that we've seen thus far in the first half section of the book of Acts, because we've seen one Saul of Tarsus back in the background. Saul of Tarsus, who's also known as the Apostle Paul. So if you hear me say Paul or Saul today, know that I'm speaking about the same person. His official name, his official historical name, and this is a mouthful, would be Saulus Paulus of Tarsus. Now stop, try saying that three times real fast. But Saul, Saul was his uh, Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name as he was a Roman citizen and he was from the area of Tarsus. So thus far we've seen Paul. He's been in the background. He held the coats to those who killed Stephen. Uh, we see that he is leading a campaign against the church that's known as the Way. And we see that in chapter 9 he is amplifying the, the amount of persecution he has towards the church to a point that he's on the road to Damascus, ready to actually, and he's ready to kill Christians at this point in time. His mindset was so that he was ready to do anything it took to stop this movement of Christianity until he encounters someone that absolutely changes the scope of his life and the direction of his ministry. So we're going to ask everyone who can and is able to, to please stand as we pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. We're in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. The Word of God reads, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now notice there, breathing threats. Now he's already been breathing threats, but now he's breathing threats of murder against the early church against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest. This shows the influence that Paul had. Not everyone could just go to the high priest. You had to be pretty influential to be able to, to meet up in a private meeting with the priest and ask something the way Paul did. He asks letters from him, from the high priest, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that is, of Christianity, of Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem... He's getting permission to the synagogues of Damascus, which is on the way to his hometown of Tarsus. If you follow a map, if you continue along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, Tarsus is just on the other side of Damascus. So he's asking permission to, to bring them back to Jerusalem so that they can be tried, perhaps even executed. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Everything begins to change here. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. 
But they led, and that means he was blind, is what that means. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. So he goes to Damascus, you see. And to him, uh, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, if you just take a look at the knowledge of God, that is incredible. God gave Saul a a, a vision of Ananias before Ananias even knew that he was to go to Saul, that Ananias would come and heal him. And to Ananias he said that I gave Saul a vision that you would come to him and do what I told you to do so that he would be transformed before anyone ever knew anything that this was going to happen. And so he said, uh, he said uh, Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine if you were in the shoes of Ananias? Saul of Tarsus is already wanting to execute Christians. This would be like going to the head of ISIS. Lord saying, Stephen, I want you to go to the head of ISIS over here, and I want you to lay hands on him. What would you do? Probably the same thing. Like, you do what now? You want me to go where to who? Just do what? Are you crazy? No, my goodness. It's the same thing with Ananias. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he, was, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now look what happens with the Saul. Immediately, Saul, the Apostle Paul, the one who was going to persecute Christians, look what he does in verse 20. He preached the Christ in the synagogues. Instead of fulfilling the papers that the high priest had sent, he's instead saying, you need to receive this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving, using apologetics here, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, look at the twist. We're talking about a 180-degree twist. Paul came to Damascus to kill the Christians. Now, the Jews in the synagogues to to the place that Saul went to kill the Christians or to bring them back to Jerusalem, they're trying to kill Paul because of his proclaiming a Christ. And so the plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates night and day to kill him. Then the disciples who took him by night led him down through the wall, through a hole in the wall, in a large basket. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you for the convicting power that you have, that you can take a person like Saul who was a skeptic, 
and change him into the, one of the greatest apostles of all time. Lord, we just ask for your power this morning. We ask for boldness. We ask for clarity. I just simply ask, Lord, that you allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard advertisements about this movie. I, th- I think it came out in, in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. It's a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And this guy, played by Ben Stiller, uh, is this, uh, this, this uh, individual who develops photos for Life magazine. And uh, being a bachelor, he sees this girl who catches his eye. And he wants to ask this girl out, but he thinks, as he looks at all these photographs that he sees, these individuals, these explorers who've gone all across the world, and he says to himself, what would I have to offer someone like that? So he starts daydreaming of all these adventures that he has, or that he could have, uh, placing himself in all these different things. And then eventually, one day, his boss asks him to go find an explorer himself, about an undeveloped picture, a picture that they didn't get. And so he goes and he has this own adventure. And so, you know, every movie, every book, every television show has a main point that they're trying to, to communicate. Every movie, every, every television show, every book does. And the main point of this movie was to stop dreaming and start doing. Make your dreams a reality is what the movie's trying to teach. Well, in, in a matter of speaking... Paul, if you really think about it, you have to ask yourself, what motivated Paul to to want to persecute the Christians? What motivated him to want to be a thorn in the side to the early Christians? Well, I believe for Paul, he really wanted to serve the Lord. And he thought it had been communicated to him that this group of Christians were individuals trying to destroy the work that God has been doing, when in reality, they had the message of truth. Amen? They had the message of truth found in Jesus Christ. So on this day, he, he had his own experience. He had his experience where he encountered the risen Jesus who transformed his life and set him on a path where he really would make a difference for the kingdom of God. So where, while, whereas Walter Mitty, a fictional character, had his secret life, we see a true historical story of the not-so-secret life of the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul's vendetta against the church wasn't secretive, and his, his transformation wasn't secretive, and the aftermath of his apostolic ministry was no secret either. So we're going to look at four points today. Number one, we're going to see Paul's not-so-secret persecuting vendetta. The vendetta that he had against the early church. We're going to also see Paul's not-so-secret personal vision, or you could even say personal visitation. We're going to also see Paul's not-so-secret providential uh, visitation, as we see from Ananias who came to him. And then fourthly, Paul's not-so-secret powerful vocation as he was absolutely transformed. He became a missionary. He was going to be a persecutor of the church, but he absolutely became a missionary of Christ and perhaps one of the greatest missionaries of all time. First and foremost, we see Paul's not-so-secret persecuting vendetta. We see, the as the story continues, back in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, that Paul had set out 
to capture as many Christians as he could. He actually led to the scattering of the church from Jerusalem to these different lands. And actually God worked through that because it was through the ministry of Philip that the Ethiopian come to know of, of Jesus. And he took the message back to Ethiopia uh, that many others came to know the message of Christ even in Samaria. But we see this Paul, he, he amps up the level of persecution, this vendetta that he holds against the church. As now we see in verse 1, he's breathing threats of murder against the church. He wanted to not only capture capture this, this, these Christians, but he wanted to get rid of them for, for, for good and all time, you know, for, for good and all. You know, he wanted to get rid, of, get, rid of, um, get rid of them the best he could. And again, if you follow a map, Damascus is just a few cities away from his home turf at Tarsus. Perhaps the notion that this Christian, Christian movement was moving closer to his hometown spurred on this, and this hostility that he held and wanting to even kill the Christians. Understand, beloved, one powerful truth, and this is something I want us to remember. Today's atheists may be tomorrow's Christian missionaries. Today's, today's individuals of today who are hostile towards the message of Christ may be tomorrow the great evangelists that we see to continue this message on uh, to future generations. You know, I, I came across on social media, we were talking about the different things that have transpired over the past week. And, and I, know that, um, I know that a lot of us have concerns about, you know, quite honestly, going anywhere anymore. I mean, you can't even go to the supermarket without worrying about what someone's going to do at a supermarket, for heaven's sakes. You, can't, you, know, you, you have to worry about even driving down the road, it seems like. But one lady on social media posted that her daughter asked her whether she was going to be safe to go to church this next Sunday. And she said that absolutely broke her heart to hear her little daughter, her little daughter who's younger than my son, ask this question to her. And she said, you know, I really wish I could say, you know, that, that, that we would all be safe, but we're not promised another day, we're not promised another tomorrow. But this right here, beloved, I think it helps for us to have an eternal perspective. Because if we go back to last week when we heard of that shooter, that shooter was an avowed atheist who came into a church and opened fire into a congregation. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something very, very, very good, very well this morning. Can't get my words out. But I want you to think about this very closely. His eternal destination is a whole lot worse than those in that congregation. Amen? Because where he is now... And what he's experiencing now for all of eternity is a whole lot worse. So Christians, I want to tell you, don't have the spirit of fear. Have the spirit of boldness because today's atheists may very well be tomorrow's Christian evangelists. We see that with Paul. You know, so, so why do we see so much violence today? We see it because we're living in a culture that has turned against Christ. And I want to tell you, beloved, that, and I'm not into politics. I, I really don't care anything about politicians. I really don't care. The more, the more I learn about politics on both sides, the more disgusted I am. But I'm here today to tell you that the only thing that's going to transform this culture is not policies and procedures. The only thing that's going to change this culture is a transformation of the heart. It's going to be to receive, to have a massive, massive revival. It's going to mean that hearts are transformed, that lives are changed, that people are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only solution we have for America today. That's the only solution that the world has, quite honestly, 
It's the only solution we've ever had. Amen? We have to see a transformation of the heart. But we see, secondly, Paul's not-so-secret personal vision. On his way to Damascus, Paul encountered the risen Lord. Amen? He encountered the risen Jesus. Now, if you see this, a lot of times skeptics will say, now, wait a minute, if you read this passage of Scripture, and then you go on and you read the passage, actually, there's three of these, these, uh, these uh, encounters mentioned in the book of Acts. Here, in chapter 22, verses 6 through 11, and also in chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. And all three accounts seem to give just a little bit of a different twist. Is, is there a conflict in these stories? Absolutely not. If you look at the details, you see the story is the same. For instance, in this, in this story, we see that uh, the people... Let's see, where, where, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where am I at? Verses 3 through 9. Um, they see it, the light shone around them. Uh, we see, he says, I am Jesus. The men who journeyed with... Verse 7, journeyed with him, stood, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. In, in chapter 22, verses 6 through 11... Uh, Paul describes that his companion saw a light, but not, did not hear the voice of Jesus. Chapters 26, verses 12 through 18 says that, that, uh, that, they, that they saw a light, but they didn't see who was in the light, and they, they heard something, but they didn't know what he said. The solution is that all, everybody there saw a light, but only, only Paul saw who was in the light. The, 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 the solution is that everybody heard something, they heard somebody saying something, but it was only Paul who understood what was being said. There's no contradiction in these stories whatsoever. If you look at the details again, you see the solution. Everybody saw that something happened, but only Paul actually saw Jesus. It was only Paul who actually heard the message that Jesus was saying, but his companions saw the light of Christ shining around. They heard the sound of his voice, but they didn't understand what was being said. So what I'm trying to simply say to you is that this visitation was not some hallucination that he had. It wasn't the result of having a bad burrito the night before. This was a real, a real true personal encounter that Paul had with the risen Lord Jesus. And Jesus asks him quite simply, why are you persecuting me? Whenever the church is, persecuting, is persecuted, those persecuting it are actually persecuting Jesus. And that's what we have to remember. The, the, the problem is not with us personally. The problem is, is, is against Christ, against the movement of Christ, against, uh, against uh, the, the triune God, as it were. You know, a personal visitation, uh, uh, an encounter, can, can completely change the dynamics of a person. Uh, when you least expect it, something can happen that will completely transform your day, your life, or even your evening. For instance, Francis... You'd be proud. I was wishing, I was hoping Jennifer and Grayson would be here uh, this morning. Grayson was feeling a little under the weather today. But last night, we had a personal visitor. Did you know that? We had a personal visitor, and it completely threw us all off. Our cat, I have to, I have to brag on our cat. Our cat is an excellent mouse catcher. He hunts mice very well. I mean, in fact, I told Janet, this is one of the best mouse hunters I've ever seen. I said, if something happens to this cat, if they have any more cats, I may have to go scouting around their, their yard. Uh, this is a good mouse-hunting cat. Well, last night he came in from the garage, and he had a little prize that we didn't know about. In his mouth was this mouse that he had not quite killed. And this, he dropped the mouse in the living room, 
And I look, and I'm stunned. I'm standing there, there's a mouse. Well, Grayson, he gets up on the couches, jumping up and down, going, eek, there's a mouse. There's a mouse. And I'm just standing there pointing, and Jennifer calmly gets a piece of, you'll be proud of her, Francis, gets a, gets a piece of paper towel, reaches down, picks up the mouse, and flushes it in the toilet. She comes back in, she says, well, I guess I'll have to be the man this evening, won't I? <laughs> After that, Grayson and I, all afternoon, we said, you're our hero. <laughs> the rest of the afternoon, that's what we did. <laughs> One little visitor can completely throw you off. Well, in, in, in the case of this, in the case of Paul, he had a personal visitation with Jesus Christ himself. And this personal vision he had, this personal visitation of Jesus, completely transformed him. Swiss theologian Karl Barth says crooked, that Paul was crooked even in the knowledge of his crookedness. He could only oppose the Word of God which enlightens, enlightens and instructs him concerning his crookedness. He didn't even realize how crooked he was in his path until he had seen Jesus face to face. Paul later on would tell the church of Corinth that he was last of all as one born out of due time, Christ also appeared to him. We see the brilliance of the light of Christ left Paul blind because of the brightness of the light. In fact, many people believe that this may have been the thorn in his flesh, that there were maybe even a lot of health issues that Paul had even after this personal encounter with Christ. I hear a lot of people say, I hear a lot of skeptics saying today, well, if Jesus just were to stand in front of me, I would believe. If you see this happening with Paul and all the physical difficulties, I don't know that you want to see Jesus in all his glory right now because I don't think you or I could, could handle it. Amen? The power of his light, the power of his being would be too strong for our eyes. And that's the reason many people ask, why can't we see God? That's the very reason. It's not for God's sake, it's for your protection. Because we can't even look at the sunlight for any length of period of time without burning our eyeballs. Can you imagine what standing in front of the glory of Almighty God and all of his full power would do to a person? The Bible tells us what would happen. The very elements of creation melt away when confronted with the power of God. That's a lot of power, folks, I'm telling you. So it's for your benefit that you can't see God, not for God's, it's for your benefit. But God is always seeking to save the lost. We must get on His game plan. He's always seeking to save the lost, and that is our mission as a church. So we, in turn, need to always seek the Lord and desire to have a more intimate relationship with Him each and every day. Number three, we see Paul's not-so-secret providential visitation. We see Ananias entering the, entering the picture here. Ananias is told of Jesus, go to Saul of Tarsus, I want you to lay your hands on him because he's my chosen vessel. You see, none of this took God by surprise, did it? God knew everything that was going to happen. He knew the free responses of, of Saul of Tarsus. He knew that if he appeared to Saul the way he did, that Saul would receive Christ. He knew that if he came to Ananias and told him the revelation that he did, that Ananias would, would respond in like turn and do the things that Christ instructed him. I mean, the knowledge of God is absolutely amazing. I, I say it, I've said it before, I say it again. I would not want to play chess with God. How do you play chess with someone who knows every move you're going to make before you even make them? And even if you decide to change your mind, he knows that you were going to decide to change your mind before you even decided it. How can you compete in a game of chess or anything with someone who has that type of knowledge? Quite honestly, you can't. 
So we see this providential visitation. Ananias comes to Paul, and Paul receives Christ. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's instantly healed. He's healed of his blindness. He regains his strength, all because of the empowering uh, providence of God. And what I'm just simply trying to tell you here, beloved, is that what you do for Christ, it matters. Amen? What you do for Christ really matters. It's through preaching, it's through the gift of preaching that God has chosen to get His Word out. But what if we refuse to preach the Word of God? People aren't going to hear, are they? They're not going to hear. God has chosen you to be part of His game plan. And I want to tell you, there's not a greater blessing that any of us could ever have than to realize that we're called into ministry to, 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 see, to serve God, to see people come to faith. That means that you have a ministry, I have a ministry. We all have a ministry together, beloved. And for us Christians, we can't be on the sidelines because it may be that God wants to use you to reach a person that I couldn't reach. Did you know that? It may surprise you, but not everybody's comfortable speaking to a preacher. Did you know that? I've heard tell, uh, In fact, I knew this one lady. She... Uh, she, she, was, she was telling all these different jokes and stuff like that, and she later found that I was a preacher. She said, preacher, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said some of those things. I told her, I said, that's why I don't let a lot of people know that I'm a preacher, because you miss out on all the good jokes if you do. You know, it's quite honestly. People act differently around you if they know that you're a preacher, you know? They, they act differently around you. So it may be that God is going to use you to, 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 to help someone that He couldn't use me to do. Joshua Youssef tells the story of this individual named Peter. Uh, we'll call him Peter, who went to meet uh, this guy who actually was in ISIS at the time. And he felt, he, he, was, he feared that this was a setup, that he was being trapped. But God used that personal visitation to lead that guy, that Muslim extremist, to salvation in Christ Jesus. Beloved, I'm telling you, you have a ministry. God can work through your life. And through His providence, He eliminates our fears. Uh, again, God knew that Paul would be at Damascus. He knew the free response of Ananias. He knew that Paul would receive Christ when Ananias visited him. God knows all things, so trust God in all things. Amen? If ever there was a time that we need to trust, to trust God, today is that time. Last but certainly not least. We see Paul's not-so-secret, powerful vocation. Paul's transformation brought about a powerful change in his vocation. Instead of being the persecutor of the church, he became the proclaimer of the church. He became a proclaimer of Christ Jesus. Everyone who heard Paul speak were amazed because they knew Paul had been persecuting the church, and now he was proclaiming the name of Jesus. What in the world happened, Paul? Well, he told them quite explicitly what happened. I saw this Jesus, and he is alive, just as these Christians said. He is risen from the dead, just as they said he was. And so he used his skills that God had given him to not only proclaim Jesus, but to defend Jesus, uh, making a, a persuasive case for the cause of Christ. And I believe that many people probably came to faith through the ministry of Paul, even in the earliest stages, and many more would come, uh, countless others would come later on. We see that Paul has only escaped this murderous plot now that was, was given against him by escaping secretly through the night by being lowered in a large basket. There's something we have to know, and that is God's election. And what do we mean by election? 
I mean simply here by God's election that God has chosen to you for a specific task. Did you realize that? He's looked throughout the, the halls of history and He knew that you would be here at this particular time. He has a particular reason for you to be in the year 2017 where you are because you have gifts and talents and abilities that He has given no one else. The question you have to ask yourself, am I using those gifts that God has given me? For instance, God chose Israel. Did you know God chose Israel to be an evangelistic tool to reach the nations? You see that in Isaiah 42.1. Even from the opening pages of Scripture, we see that God is an evangelistic God, that He is seeking to save the lost. He has called Israel to reach the world, to save the world through Him, to give them the message of, of His grace through Israel, and eventually that would come through Christ. God chose the Gentiles to be saved, Isaiah 65.1. God called Jeremiah before he was ever in his mother's womb. God knew him and called him for a particular task, Jeremiah 1.5. God called John the Baptist, Luke 1.15. While even in the womb we see God called Paul in Acts 9.15, uh, chapter 22, verse 14, and also Galatians 1.15. Understand, God has looked through the halls of history. God knew you. God knew, knows everything about you. He knows everything that could be known about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. The same is true of me. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. And He knows our encouragements. He knows everything there is to know about us. But also understand this God's election empowers us to do great things. He doesn't call His children... To be saved and then sit. He calls them to be saved and to transform the world. King Hezekiah wisely said to his troops that, uh, that, that their adversaries only had human strength, but we have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles in Second Chronicles 32.8. Paul said to the church at Rome that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father he also said to Timothy god gave us the spirit not of fear but of power and of love and of self-control in 2 Timothy 1:7 you see beloved you have a ministry that no one else has if God can call and change and transform and use a man like Saul of Tarsus, don't you know that he can use you to do some great things? If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Focus on the Word of God. Focus on the Spirit of God. Focus on Him and trust and depend upon Him today. Let me close with this. Seven-year-old boy went to an evangelistic service and I was talking with a guy at Courtney Baptist Church last night, and we were talking to James Williams. We were talk, was talking to him last night. And he's talking about he remembered the day when they had revival services that went from Sunday to Friday. Do you remember that? Oh, my goodness. Everybody was worn out by the end of the week, I know, but they were filled with the Spirit of God, no doubt. This one little boy, he attended one of these evangelistic services, and he went Monday night, he went Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, and even Friday night. And he heard the evangelist give the altar call saying, you need to let Jesus come into your heart. You let Jesus come into your heart. You need to make, let Him be part of your life. And the little boy came to him out in the parking lot after the service was over, a little seven-year-old boy. And he says, sir, 
looking to the evangelist. He says, yes, son. He says, if I understood correctly, you said, uh, I need to ask Jesus Christ into my life. And the evangelist says, yes, sir. Yes, son, you do. He says, well, let me ask you a question. I'm seven years old. I want to know something. How big is Jesus? The evangelist says, well, he's pretty big. He's a carpenter. The little boy says, okay, well, wait a minute. I'm seven years old, and he's big, and he's a carpenter. If I let Jesus come into my life, isn't he going to stick out with my hands and my feet and my head? How are you going to get that big person in me? How does that work? And the evangelist went on to explain to the young boy what he meant by that. But he told the young boy, he says, you know something? Your theology is really good. Because when Jesus comes in a person's life, he is going to stick out. Amen? He's going to change your life. He's going to transform you. You're not going to be the same person you used to be. You're not going to think about the things you used to think. I remember when I, was, when, I was, when I had left the ministry, when I had backslidden, I used to watch things. I used to enjoy things that were just filthy on television. I look at them now, I can't even stand watching them anymore. Did those shows change? Absolutely not. I change because of the work of Christ in me. When Christ comes into a person's life, there is a transformation. And if you don't believe me, go back and read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25 all over again. Saul of Tarsus, a man who was a persecutor of the church, received Christ, and he became one of the greatest missionaries of all time, preaching and proclaiming and even giving his life, giving his life by being beheaded in Rome in A.D. 67. You see, here's what you can take from this. God may interrupt your life in powerful fashions to save you and to call you for a ministry of His choosing. The gospel must be taken to others as this is the manner in which God has chosen to share the good news of Christ. Could He have done it in another fashion? Absolutely. Did He absolutely need us? No, He could have done it Himself. But He has chosen to use us for His glory because it's by the preaching and teaching of the Word of God that people hear. So we can't sit down and be quiet. We must stand and be loud and proud that we are Christians, that we are saved by the grace of Almighty God. Those that God calls should not be... uh, Those that God calls may be rejected... But we need to continue. We need to continue the walk that we have. And last but certainly not least, when you face difficult decisions, thoroughly pray and seek the Lord's will. See what God would have you do in each and everything in life. And beloved, I'm going to tell you, if God is for you, then no one can be against you. Amen? No one at all. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, I want to encourage you to come and receive Him today. You say, well, preacher, you don't know the things I've done in life. Well, look at Paul. He was, he was even to the point that he was wanting to murder Christians. But God got a hold of his life and completely transformed him, and changed the direction of his life, changed the direction of his ministry. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, I want to encourage you to come and receive him before it's eternally too late. Maybe you're here today, maybe there are things in life that's just burdened you down, and maybe you just need to lay those things at the foot of the cross and give them all to God. We encourage you to do that as well. Maybe you want to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us each and every day. We thank you, Lord, for the grace and mercy that we find in and through you. 
Lord, we, we, we know that uh, we live in a tumultuous world full of problems and strife. But we ask, Lord, as, the, as we leave these doors today, that you would give us the peace of your Holy Spirit that only you can provide. That despite what problems we may face in life, what difficulties may come our way, that we would continually focus upon you and lean upon you and trust in your word and trust in your direction. Lord, we don't know why the message, this message was brought today. We don't know for whom it was for. But we know, Lord, that you have, that you know that, this, that there may be someone here, maybe just one person who needed to hear this message today. We just ask, Lord, that you would work in that person's life. Just have you willing your way in this time of invitation. We ask all these things. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. In his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people, and his sermons have been changing millions more ever since. The CSB Spurgeon Study Bible weaves thousands of his words, notes, and excerpts into a rich daily study experience designed to bring to life the words of Charles Spurgeon alongside the words he loved and cherished his entire life. No one would be more surprised than Spurgeon to discover such a thing as the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. And yet I think he would be both surprised and delighted. I would say that Spurgeon, as much as any preacher of an earlier era, has impacted my pastoral ministry. Not in terms of the actual content itself, as much as the approach to scripture, as it were, on his knees. It's a material that has stood the test of time. And so for it to be encapsulated in this one form uh, is, is just a terrific resource. And I think that what it's going to do is broaden the understanding of the Bible and at the same time give to people an understanding of Spurgeon. With a rich and beautiful design, the Spurgeon Study Bible introduces readers to the insights and wisdom of Spurgeon as a pastoral guide through the Bible that includes his writings, journal entries, lost sermons, and resources not available anywhere else. For someone who's barely heard the name Spurgeon and perhaps has never even read anything that he wrote, the study Bible is going to be a revelation. 
right there, page by page, book by book, they are introduced to Spurgeon at his very best. One of the things that will be immediately attractive to them is the fact that they will see Spurgeon's own handwriting within the prints of the Bible. So that not only did they have his comments, but they have his comments as they were originally written down. It is immediately appealing to the eye, as well as you know, rewarding to the mind. For the student of uh, scripture and the lover of Spurgeon, it's a treasure trove. Throughout his life, Spurgeon gave himself to knowing, loving, and proclaiming the truth of Christ. Each edit and inclusion in the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible follows this passion that every reader might get into the very heart of the Word of God. There's a certain element in this study Bible that causes the reader to feel almost that they are inhabiting the time of Spurgeon himself. It's clearly all about the one whom he longs to preach and proclaim. This is the great value that is to be found in the material. I hope that this study Bible is going to introduce a whole new group of people to Spurgeon himself and to the influence that he had, and that because the heart of man is the same no matter where he finds himself or she finds herself. And Spurgeon's timeliness, indeed his timelessness, is that. Experience God's Word and the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. To find out more, visit csbspurgeonstudybible.com. first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence.